program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. By all measures, Wisconsin's economy continues to be strong, sustaining an unemployment rate lower than the national average and continuing to add jobs. However, a lingering concern in many communities across the state is a lack of workforce housing. Kurt Paulson, professor of urban and regional planning with UW-Madison, and Wally Urjahovsky with the Southwestern Wisconsin Action Community Action. Action Program. Join us today to talk about workforce housing. Are we in a crisis? What are the solutions? So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Professor Paulson, it's been almost three years since you wrote what was considered at the time a groundbreaking program for the Wisconsin Realtors Association around the workforce housing crisis. A lot has changed since 2019. Where are we at with the workforce housing crisis? Well, obviously the biggest impact has been COVID and its impact on the supply chains. And so, you know, in the early days of COVID, when interest rates were low and people were stuck at home, they wanted more housing. They wanted more space, right? If you're stuck with your teenagers at home, you need lots of space. So people started moving out to rural areas, small towns, suburbs, and that really put an upward pressure on housing prices. And then in the last couple of years, the supply chain has affected construction. So the cost to build anything new has gone up 35% in the last two years. So if the cost of building something new goes up, the cost of existing housing goes up. So if you already own your home, you're doing great because it's gone up 60, 70, some places $90,000 in value. But if you're looking for a house or if you're looking to move or downsize or uh, move somewhere for a job or even recruit someone for a job, it's just a much tougher market right now. So we're in worse shape than we were in 2019. Yes. Okay. Are you seeing that in southwestern Wisconsin yeah, as yeah, well? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, everything says. The only thing I would add to it is, of course, the, the cost of labor has, has gone up as well because of, you know, just trying to get enough tradespeople to build anything has really raised the, the cost, too, and that's, that's true in urban and, and rural areas. So we mentioned Wisconsin's strong economy and that sustained low unemployment rate. In many Wisconsin communities, we're seeing more jobs than housing units, which is the topic of what we're focusing on today. We're looking at data now from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showing uh, 10 job center counties, or those counties that can sustainably support more jobs. Um, a couple of examples on the screen. Waukesha County, there is a job to housing balance of 1.37 jobs for every available home or housing unit. In Sheboygan County, that balance is 1.11. In Marathon, it is 1.15 jobs for housing unit. Brown, 1.33. Dane, 1.32. What happens in a community when that job to housing ratio is out of balance? Well, if you can't find a place to live that's close to where you work, right, so there's more jobs than housing, then people live far away or they double up. But mostly in Wisconsin, they live far away and they drive long distances. So particularly in the satellite communities of uh, urban centers, whether that's Green Bay or Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, obviously, that puts pressure on the rural housing market as well because you can drive an extra 20, 25 minutes and find something that's a little more affordable. That drives up the price of housing in rural areas, but it also means that people are in the car for a long period of time. And that makes it difficult for employers, 
right? If you have shift work and people are stuck in the snow uh, or their car breaks down, it's just hard to keep and retain a workforce. It's also hard for people to be involved in their community and their kids' schools if you're spending so much time in the, in the car. I would imagine for low-income families, which is the focus of your organization, that, that uh, having to travel to a job is a big burden. Yeah, I and mean, that's even more expensive because you're, you're paying uh, for um, you know, gas and, and wear and tear on your vehicle. Uh, and I, that, that adds to the additional cost of a family that's struggling anyway. And then just the time away, the time driving. I mean, then, you know, their child care comes into play and all kinds of other factors come into play. So it's not a good thing. Is this a, is this a problem that exists across the country or is there anything about Wisconsin that's more intensified? No, it, you definitely see this across the country. Um, but Wisconsin, we have it in our own unique way because we don't just have one giant metropolitan region like Milwaukee. Right, you see this in Eau Claire, you see this in the Green Bay area. Even in Green Bay and Appleton, people are living in southern Fond du Lac County or way up in um, Kiwani County and having to drive into work. You know, one of the particular areas of, of concern is, is in healthcare and hospitals in particular. Trying to get staff there mm-hmm. uh, when you're taking care of patients is very, very challenging if you just simply can't uh, be able to recruit them or retain them close close to where your your hospital or your healthcare system is. It's it's a real challenge. We we talk about that all the time. So your your work focuses in that southwestern region. I know you have a, a recent project in Lafayette County. But c- before we get into the details of that project, what can you say about what that housing crisis, the workforce housing crisis, looks like in rural Wisconsin? What are some of the things that are true? Would you say? Well, it certainly hurts household income. Uh, because people have to drive, or if they cannot drive to a better paying job, or they can't work longer hours. So it places a real burden on low-income folks who are struggling anyway, on everybody, but especially low-income folks. Mm-hmm. And it may make the difference whether, you know, how much food they can afford or, or how much rent they can pay or whatever it happens to be because they're spending so much time on, on traveling. So we've used the word crisis a couple of times now. Is this a crisis, and, and what makes it a crisis? Well, it's absolutely a crisis because, it, you know, again, on the employment side, if an employer can't get enough workers because they, the workers can't find housing, then our employers might leave or invest in other states. So from a workforce development standpoint, it's a crisis. But primarily, as, as Wally was pointing out, for a lot of our low-income renters, low-income homeowners, when you're spending half of your income on rent, there's not much wiggle room in the budget for anything else. And that means if your car breaks down, if your kid gets sick, if you lose a few hours at work, any of those kind of normal shocks to life, uh, people get into a really difficult situation. So it's, it's been a slow-burning crisis for the last 20 years. But then you just add on COVID and the supply chain, and that just uh, flames everything up. So you mentioned COVID. You mentioned the supply chain. Are those the main drivers? Are there other drivers of the workforce housing crisis? Yes. So in our urban areas, one of the main drivers of the workforce housing crisis is that it's just hard to build new housing to accommodate the demand for people who want to live in a community because they work in a community. So in our expensive areas where the cost of existing housing is above what it would cost to build a, a modest quality new home, there it's really the shortage of housing because of zoning and other regulations that drives the workforce housing crisis. In rural areas, the economics are a little different. In a rural area, 
if you wanted to even build a, a modest quality home, right, a new home, it's going to cost significantly more than the existing housing. So, of course, uh, builders and developers are more attracted to the urban and suburban markets where there's a shortage of housing, where you can get an economy of scale, you can build at, at densities sufficient to recover your costs. So one of our challenges is, even though there's a shortage of housing in rural workforce areas, nobody's building any housing. We, t uh, we talked a little bit before the show started about how we have this group of baby boomers that maybe are sitting in uh, older homes that yep. are fa very family-oriented homes, but they're, they're not selling. Right, and the statistics show that we have an aging population and an aging housing stock. And so, you know, we were talking about your mom, my mom. Th they live in the same house we grew up in, but there's no condo or townhouse or even uh, kind of mother-in-law suite that someone could move down to that that might free up that housing for a younger family. And so for the last 20 years, we've not built much of anything other than the large single-family or the multifamily apartment. So we talk a lot about what's called the missing middle of that kind of smaller housing type, uh, the townhouse, kind of a condo style, or even sort of a, uh, a Polish flat, I think you called it, <laughs> right? Or a, just an, a, a mother-in-law suite, something that uh, some of our aging seniors can move into to share living expenses with families. Which can free up workforce housing for families in our workforce, yeah. Yes. You've seen that missing middle in Dodgeville. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, all of all of our rural southwestern Wisconsin. I would assume, assume that's true in all of rural Wisconsin. You j you just you just don't have that, and so as a result, the, the the you know the problems are exactly the same. And employers have a hard time recruiting retaining employees because there's not housing for their employees, and then you have an elderly population that can't move because there's no place to move to yet. They still want to stay in those homes, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely, it's all true. So uh, maybe we've already answered this. What is the greatest need in workforce housing? Is there a population? Is there a region of the state? Is there a greatest need it's, answer? It's hard to say there's a greatest need, right? Because uh, if it's your family, if it's your community, that seems like the greatest need. So particularly in rural areas, small towns, where you have an aging population and an aging workforce, an aging housing stock, mm -hmm. sorry, there you really have a need for some sort of home repair, home modification program and we really don't have any programs like that in the state and we uh, there's not a lot of money at the federal government right in our more suburban and urban job centers there we are talking about both the zoning reforms to allow a greater density a greater variety of housing but also then leveraging the various sorts of financial programs that we have at the state so we do have state housing tax credits we have federal housing tax credits which really work to help developers build workforce housing. But part of the challenge we've, we've been talking about rural is the economics are more difficult because the, the housing tax credit helps bridge the gap between how much it costs to build a unit and the affordable rent. Well, in rural areas, the affordable rent is a lot lower than it is in Madison or Milwaukee. So you need a, a bigger amount of subsidy per unit just to cover those construction costs. Most people don't realize it costs about the same to build the housing, the physical unit, in an urban area as in a rural area, right? The land is obviously much more expensive in an urban area. But you need a greater amount of subsidy per unit in the rural areas to build affordable housing. So do you think it's time that we need to rethink overall, overhaul the incentives and kind of how we look at 
housing in Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean, in, in the rural areas, uh, you know, to, to add to that, there aren't the efficiencies of scale. So if you want to do 64 units or 100 units in Milwaukee or Madison or Green Bay, developers are going to find that terribly appealing. You're, you're in a smaller community, you know, where it really maybe needs 12 units or 20 units, there's just not the efficiencies of scale there. So you have to kind of subsidize it to make it doable, you know, and that's why we're talking about tax credits and, and other ways to make, to make that happen, because otherwise, it's, you know, it's just, it, it just doesn't make any sense for a developer to want to do something that small. Well, you've been working on a pretty exciting project in Lafayette County. Um, I want to get to that and have you explain what's happening there. That's an area of a state with uh, of the state with a strong agriculture industry. It looks similar to some other parts of our state. Uh, it supports over agriculture supports over half the jobs in the county. Uh, you identified a specific housing need for those dairy farmers and other ag workers in that area. Farms had been experiencing a 34 percent employee turnover rate as compared to 19% for other industries. How is the community addressing that area of workforce shortage, workforce housing shortage? Well, they worked very closely with us and with Sonera, our nonprofit housing development partner, on developing what, what we call the Meadows, which is a, work, a workforce house in Darlington, in Lafayette County. It is specifically for farm labor. Uh, doesn't matter where you come from, but you know many of them are, are of course, going to be immigrants. And you know there's the growth of the larger dairy farms in that area, which employ people as opposed to the smaller family-owned farms. And because of that, uh, they they need to be able to recruit and retain their employees. But you know it's going to be prohibitive for them if their employees don't have decent places to live that they can afford. And so we all knew that. And so it was a it was a it was a joint project between all of us, between the Darlington and Lafayette County and my organization and, and Sinair, uh to develop uh, in our, this case thirty two units of housing specifically for farm workers or agricultural laborers, I should say, because you can work at a cheese, cheese plant and, mm -hmm. and other places as well, uh, so that they can both afford it and this is good quality housing at the same time. So it's very attractive and very appealing. With the idea is. Not only are we providing housing for uh, a, a labor force that we and they desperately need to keep the dairy industry going, but also it's an opportunity to help those farmers being able to recruit and retain their employees. And you just had some of your first families move into the meadows, right? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago we knew there was five. There's probably a, a few more since then, and so it's going to little by little. It's going to, those numbers are going to increase until 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 it fills up. So yeah, it's it's very appealing, very attractive, and uh, very high quality. You know, and uh, again, very affordable for folks who are, you know, and, you know, working as dairy farm workers and their families, and you know, don't Important earn a huge to amount that of money. Industry in that yeah. part of the state. When you hear about a project like that, what do, what do you think? Do you hear promise? Yes. I mean, uh, and I've seen presentations, and uh, people should check it out. It's a great project. Um, and again, but one of the things it illustrates is how much complexity went into a 32-unit development in Darlington. And Wally can talk about it, but you have public sources, you have private sources, you have a, an investor, you have tax credits, you have state money, you have USDA money, right? And again, it illustrates the magnitude of the challenge. It's a great project. But we wish we could wave a wand and build a hundred of those scattered around uh, the state because there's a sh such a shortage of housing. And again, housing becomes really complicated because if if it costs two hundred fifty thousand dollars per unit to build a new unit of housing in Darlington, right? And the rent can only support certain amounts. You need to, as Wally said, you need to find subsidies, and everybody's kind of competing for those same subsidy dollars. 
because there's a huge shortage not just in Darlington, there's a shortage in Sheboygan, in Schulzburg, in Milwaukee, in Madison, in Antigo, right? Everybody's got a shortage. Do you think this is a project that could be replicated across the state? Oh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> I really do. I mean, we put a lot of time and effort and money into this project, all of us, all the partner organizations into this project. And I think now that we have a model, a financial model that can be replicated, my hope is really is that, you know, a, a ton of these are, are done throughout Wisconsin. For the sake of the farmers, the farm workers, and those communities, you know, these are people living in the communities paying taxes too mm -hmm. and buying things and all that type of thing and increasing the population the schools, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I hope you know anybody wants to take this model and, and, and run with it, I think that would be that, that would be really great. It sounds like you really needed uh, community buy-in in order to make it successful. Yeah, I mean, Darlington and Lafayette County were very supportive. I, 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 we didn't have any problems with anybody. Uh, in fact, the city had to be a big supporter for this to make this happen. And, you know, they, they've been absolutely wonderful. And so they recognize that for the vitality of a small rural community, they need more people and they need more workers. Uh, wherever they're coming from, and in this case, it really worked for them. So, yeah, mm -hmm. they're they're very happy with the, with the way this has gone. You're going to add something? I was going to say that, you know, the the public buy-in is very important. Oftentimes, when people hear affordable housing, they have this image in their mind, right? And I would say, go to Darlington and look at how good these units are, or or some of the units built by the Dodge County Housing Authority in Horicon, yeah. right? These are high-quality units that really add value to a community, and so. You know, f for a lot of local government elected officials, their their constituents are saying, "I'm not too sure about affordable kind of housing." Not in my backyard. Not in my backyard. And so, anything we can do to just show pictures of how good the units are, and then to say, "Listen, we've got the workers already coming to our community," as Wally said, we have to build housing so that they can put down roots, they can spend their money here, they pay taxes, and that our employers can have people who a stable workforce. Because our work, our workforce is in competition with every other state that would like to recruit our workers, just like we're trying to recruit their workers. Well, and, and part of part of what's kind of built into the plan, at least for the workforce housing in Darlington, has some community services and supports as part of the vision. We were talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I'm fairly confident that we're going to get the additional funding to build a, a Head Start classroom right next to it, uh, and that'll have room for the free clinic and for our WIC nutrition program as well. But there's other services also in, in, in the community, not only my organization, but is provided locally. So the whole idea is not just to have an isolated uh, set of folks living in, in rental housing, the whole idea is to have them part of the community mm -hmm. and have the community involved with them. I mean, in Head Start, it's going to be kids not just from the housing, but kids from the whole place, from the whole city and the whole county. And so they're going to be mixing together, you know, different populations with different backgrounds. You know, it's that type of thing. So it, it, it's not just housing, it also creates a part of the community. It's adding on to it. Uh, and these are people who have been very welcomed in, in, in that part of the world because they are very hardworking and they're good to their families and that type of thing. So it's, it's, a really, a, it's, it's really kind of nice to see. Exciting. Well, the, you know, the Starlington project highlights a statewide concern around affordability. Uh, we've talked about accessibility of housing, but affordability is kind of that other part of the equation. A survey in the region of Darlington showed 98% of all rental units had been occupied. Uh, but a secondary concern was that affordability. Could they actually afford? We're looking at a slide here. Many low-income homeowners pay more than 50% of their income on housing in Wisconsin. We are the second highest cost 
cost burden, have the second highest cost burden for homeowners in the Midwest. 43% of those low-income homeowners are seniors. On the rental side, Wisconsin leads the Midwest with the highest percentage of lowest income renters with extreme cost burden. Over 148,000 renters with incomes below 50% of the average median income spending more than 50% of their income on housing. What are the solutions to rental affordability specifically? So when we talk about rental affordability, again, there are, there's basically one major federal program for producing new units that are affordable. And then there's one major program for helping people find uh, existing affordable rental apartments. So the production side, it's the housing tax credit. Uh, and I know that the housing tax credit was used in the Darlington project. And again, the federal government allocates the, to the state government. We add additional monies for a state housing tax credit. But there's a limited uh, supply of these dollars to go around. So, again, these are units that are produced with the, which are affordable, but we can only produce a limited number of them per year. So not anywhere near the, the level we need. The, on the demand side, it's the voucher program. Um, and then there's an equivalent program in USDA that helps people to pay the rent. Um, but, again, at a federal level, we have underinvested in affordable housing for the last really 50 years. So part of what we can do is encourage our federal legislators to consider additional resources both on the tax credit and on vouchers to provide affordability. But there's a lot of states that are stepping up to uh, provide their own resources because uh, the federal resources are never going to be enough to meet our, our crisis. We do have a state budget surplus. I've had a lot of legislators here on the program talking about what should happen. Projected now, $6.6 billion. We're heading into state budget season in the new year. Is there anything that you would like the governor and the legislature to maybe invest in or prioritize in the next state budget that would help what we've just been talking about here? Yeah, I think by enhancing those state tax credits, uh, increasing the amount. I know, I, I think I've been told that like 30 or 40 percent of the applications each year for low-income housing tax credits to develop housing get, get, get an allocation. That means over half don't. Uh, and a lot of those are very good projects. They just don't rise to the occasion of those that do get the do get the allocation. So I think by increasing the low-income housing tax credits from from the state, you're going to increase the ability of developers, nonprofit or for-profit or whomever, to be able to develop that type of housing. And I think that's something that the state could do and and, and should do, uh, because it's hurting the state in so many other ways that Kurt just mentioned. We're going to fall behind other states. Do you think in the Midwest? Well, we already are, right? And so uh, a number of our competitor or neighbor states have engaged in recent legislation to create new programs to fund workforce housing in rural areas in particular, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, you know, Washington State, a lot of states that have similar employment base, demographics, and uh, we can go through the specifics of the program. But at some level, we would say you know, if housing is so vital to people's lives and vital to communities and workforce development and educational success, then at some level, we as a state might want to consider, we should consider, spending additional resources to provide that kind of assistance that households need, whether it's on the rental production side or whether it's on helping senior homeowners to do 
uh, loans and grants for home repair, home modifications, energy efficiency. A lot of these older homes, one of the reasons it's expensive is it's $300 just to heat the house, right? So energy efficiency can make us all better off, reduce their costs. It's also about um, providing resources so that if, if somebody wants to move into an area that has a lot of opportunities, that they're able to do that. What are, what would you consider to be the strongest examples in some other states of some innovative things that they're investing in that maybe Wisconsin should be looking at? Well, Wisconsin already is doing a lot. So we do also already have a state housing tax credit. And in our federal tax credit program, we have a, a rural housing set aside. But Nebraska, for example, in 2018, created a workforce, uh, rural development workforce housing fund, which was grants and loans for the production of new housing in rural areas. They were trying it just for four years. It was so successful and so popular, they just renewed it for another 10 years for $40 million. Uh, Minnesota designates rural workforce development areas, and in those areas there's grants and loans and housing tax credits for the production of new units. So maybe that should inspire us to a little uh, jealousy, right? Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa have all done things in the last two or three years because they face the same workforce and rural challenges we do. Are you hopeful do you, or do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better in communities like maybe not Darlington where you had this new project, but what, what do you see in the near future? Well, I think, you know, when we talk about housing development, we really are talking about economic development because you have to develop your entire community. You know, you have to have jobs. You have to have decent paying jobs so people can afford to pay their bills and, and thrive and, and all that type of thing. So I am hopeful that as communities and, and units of government understand that really to have the type of growth that you want to see, uh, that you're really going to have to include uh, housing as part of your, your business strategy because businesses can't, you know, they're, they're all struggling to hire employees or retain their employees, whatever kind of business, whether it's rural or urban or, or any place else. And so it, it really has to be this economic development concept that's, that includes housing as a big part of it. And I am hopeful that people are beginning to figure out, well, we can't, you know, y y we can't have these businesses grow and pay taxes and employ people unless we have housing. So I think people have come to the realization, whether it's urban or rural, that something really does have to be done to enhance the ability to do the type of housing that we need for everybody. Uh, what, what impact do you think the Federal Reserve in interest rate hikes will have on kind of this whole juggernaut here? Yeah, so in the short run, the interest rate hike and the real expensive cost of construction are a real uh, headwind to the housing market because, you know, a house might have been affordable at, at a 4% mortgage rate. But now you're seeing a 7% mortgage rate, and so a lot of uh, millennials, Gen Z, first-time home buyers, they really feel shut out of the market. So they're going to continue to rent. They're going to continue to rent, put pressure on the rental market. And then market. people are going to stay in their homes. People are going to stay in their homes. It's also harder for developers to get construction loans to build either single-family or multifamily rental. So, and again, you know, that's the macroeconomic condition. So there are things we can do in terms of down payment assistance, low interest loans to help people buy and build housing. But at some level, that all costs money. And so, so are really- So hearing worse before it gets better? Well, I think it's up to our elected officials. And so where I'm hopeful, like Wally is, across the state, rural, urban, suburban, Democrat, Republican, everybody recognizes this is a huge need. There's a lot of consensus about what we can do. So it's really whether we're going to 
develop the political consensus, the political will to create new programs, spend additional resources to solve this issue, right? So whether I'm hopeful or not depends on whether our, our local and state elected leaders can get together and decide on practical solutions. Well, last session, Governor Evers and the legislature did agree on some uh, workforce housing initiatives, and then Governor Evers also put some additional federal ARPA dollars into some multifamily uh, tax credits. Uh, we're, we're going into a new budget season, new legislative season. If you had one um, key message for our elected officials about this workforce housing crisis, what would you say to them? Well, I'd say put some of that money into into the, the state tax credits. That's uh, is, is it's already there. It's just only a matter of, of boosting that amount of money, so that will uh, motivate developers, whether whoever they happen to be, to do more housing, whether it's urban or rural or, or any place else, and also work on rural issues specifically, where you can have one source of funding for multiple sites. So instead of you know a developer working on 12 units, which they're not going to do, they could work on 60 units, but maybe 10 units in six different communities. So there's a way of approaching it. Uh, it just it takes the political will to do it, and it doesn't all include money. And the other thing I would add, maybe Kirk can talk about, is zoning issues and the fact that there has to be more openness in terms of the type of housing that goes into communities, uh, because that's an impediment as well. What would you say to elected officials about the urgency of this issue? Well, I would, I would say everything that Wally said, and I would add this. There was a kind of uh, once-in-a-lifetime huge influx of federal dollars under COVID, right? So it's emergency rental assistance and then the homeowner assistance funds, the Wisconsin Help for Homeowners. But both of those programs are going away. Mm -hmm. But the underlying need is not going away. So, you know, I would, I would say what, what's your plan? What's your... What's your strategy for addressing our housing crises? You know, we can look at what a lot of other states have done and, and compile a menu of things you can do. But it starts by saying, uh, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got, right? So we need to try something new and something different. And it's zoning reform, it's funding for infrastructure, it's funding for uh, housing tax credits, we should really say everything's on the table if we really want a comprehensive strategy. And the, the time is now. And the time is now because the alternative is, you know, things aren't going to get any better on their own. And particularly the urgency would be, you know, young millennials, they're at the peak home buying age. So if we want to retain them in the state, they need to find a place to live because otherwise We're losing move. our workforce. If you ignore your workforce, it'll go away. That'll be the final word for our policymakers who are tuned in. Well, thank you both for talking with us today about this really important issue. Thank, thank you, you for having us. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program was brought to you from the Margaret Farrell Studio. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.